Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your presence today. We thank you for how you are the one that orchestrates everything that happens in our life. There's nothing that gets past you. And Lord, we've been praying for people around us that have been ailing or having difficulty. And Lord, we know that you hear our prayers. And we know that you are the great healer, the great physician, the one who really does truly care about us. And Lord, we won't begin to understand everything that happens to us and why it happens to us. But we do know that you love us and that you do desire for us to have a closer, vibrant relationship with you. And if that is what you would have us do, Lord, then so be it. We accept that. Lord, we just pray now, too, that you'll continue to show us grace and even mercy as we deal with the issues in our life that will separate us from you or keep us from you. We thank you, Lord, for your patience. We thank you for showing us how you are true in all things. And we also pray for those who are still coming here with travel mercies, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I did find it, and I wanted to make sure that I... Uh, at, we're on the back of the handout uh, of part two and three of heaven, what is it like, and where is it? And right at the top of the um, handout is the... It says something about a video segment. Um, do all babies go to heaven when they die? I'm going to show you that right now. You'll have to listen carefully because it's only... It's not so much the video. Oh, that's good. So we've had to consider this question. And one of the things is when you, you look through the scriptures, especially in moments like this, you're looking for an answer. And what you don't find is any clear teaching in the Bible about what happens to a child when they die or some other kind of situations that are, that are similar to this. So in moments like this, then what do you do? Is God completely silent? I don't think so. Um, so a verse that, that is good for my heart is uh, Genesis 18:25, which says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Um, this is a conversation that God's having with Abraham. And, um, Abraham recognizes that, that, that God is, because he's good, that we can trust him. And oftentimes, in situations where there's pain like this, um, we're wondering, Lord, what do you have to say? Now, I think along with that, there's some other places in the scriptures that, that can give us great hope. Um, in First uh, Kings chapter 14, around verse 13, there's a story of a day in, in wicked Israel where Jer- Jeroboam was king. And it says that uh, his child was taken to death. And it says that because the Lord found something good in that child, he, he took him home to, to be with him. And exactly what that means, I, I, I don't know, but there's a little glimmer of hope. And then later on, uh, or actually earlier in Second uh, Samuel 12:23, uh, uh, David has just lost his child that was conceived with the adultery with Bathsheba. And he had been weeping, praying for the Lord to, to rescue this child and to raise him up. But the, the Lord said no, and David said, I will weep no longer. Um, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. He seemed to have the hope that when he died, he would go to be with his child. And he certainly had the hope of, of being with the Lord when he passed away. 
also um, Jesus and the way that he speaks about children. Um, Matthew chapter 19, you've got the scene where the disciples are shooing away the children, and, and Jesus says, hold up, fellas, and says, these are the kind who are received into the kingdom of heaven. So when you look through the scriptures, uh, the testimony of children is lifted up high, highly as an example of humility and, and all these things. And I know there's a lot of questions theologically that we have to import about what, you know, what about um, Adam's sin and the imputation of sin and all these things. Um, what I fall back on continually is that in Christ, God can do amazing things and he can, he can extend mercy. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. So the way that I have and my, my family has dealt with these situations is to come back to that Genesis 18 and say that will not the just judge of all the world do what is right? And, and there's some things in this life we just don't know. We just don't know answers for. But what we do know is the one who holds all things. And uh, I think in these situations we've got to put our heart in his hands and trust him. Now, for those of you who did not hear the first part of this, Video. This pastor, this was a pastor. Um, he had dealt with several miscarriages, his wife. Not just one, but several. So you can imagine how difficult it is for, for them to be able to understand why is a God allowing this to happen to this family. And of course, we. We just said in our prayer just now, pardon me, I was thinking and not putting my mic back on, um, thinking that it's something for us to you know, consider that God is, in fact, dealing with us in ways that we can't begin to understand. And that's, and some families have to go through things that we would just deem to be incredible or unbelievable. But we also are reminded in Scripture that God will not put anything upon us that we cannot bear. We certainly have to lean on him a lot and a lot more in situations like that, but that's exactly what's taking place. Now, all of those verses, uh, if you go back to your handout, I, I listed all of those verses that he mentioned because I think it's good for us to review those verses on our own and look at them and see what the value is for that. Um, and I also want to remind you that this particular exercise, this class, is for the purposes of really strengthening your ability to disciple other people. I promise you, you're going to run into somebody, first of all, who has been through a miscarriage. You may already have seen people like this or have had this situation take place. And you have to go with the understanding that a miscarriage means that that was a life that God had appointed a very soul that was going to be born, and for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Okay. So we need to understand that there's a sensitivity involved with this. And so when this pastor was searching for answers, he comes across these verses. Let's take a look at Genesis 18:25. I'd like to look at that. And I thought that that was a great... I mean, it would have been a great way to end his topic, but at the same time, he's... He used it to kick off the discussion about what happens to these children, these babies, when they go to heaven, when they die. And it says in Genesis 18, 25, and remember, this is the conversation that Abraham is having with one of the angels. 
and with God himself, excuse me. And it says in Genesis 18.25, you could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? And that's Abraham talking to God because Abraham understands the character of God. God is not going to treat people who are righteous in the same way those who are wicked. Will the righteous people die sometimes in the midst of the wicked? Yes, but we also know that there is an assurance that God is going to take care of the very souls of those people who are righteous. And basically, the righteous are going to go in one direction, and the wicked are going to go in another direction. And that's what we have to take away from this. So when it comes to a baby, when it comes to a child, who hasn't had the opportunity to even know or anything about who the Lord is, what do you think God's going to do with that child? Logically, all we know is that he'll do what's right. He'll do the right thing. He'll do what is appropriate. And just like the pastor said, we can't understand everything that happens. We're not going to begin to understand everything that happens. We're not going to know. And we're not going to know, frankly, until we're with our Lord ourselves. Because I think that's when we will have that extra wisdom and knowledge. We have a limited amount of wisdom and knowledge that we can understand. Go over to 1 Kings 14. And by the way, feel free to ask questions. I'm hardly an expert. I'm only going by what I read, what you read, what you understand, and, and you're not going to have a whole lot of understanding here because just like the pastor said, there's just not a lot of knowledge. There's just not a lot of information in Scripture about this, but we just have indicators in Scripture that God is going to be a righteous and just God and do exactly what is necessary. In 1 Kings 14, let's start with verse, verse 10. Because of all this, I'm about to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will wipe out all of Jeroboam's males, both slave and free. In Israel, I will sweep away the house of Jeroboam as one sweeps away dung until it is all gone. That's pretty heavy duty. Anyone who belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat, for the Lord has spoken. As for you, get up and go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He alone, out of Jeroboam's house, will be given a proper burial, because out of the house of Jeroboam, something favorable to the Lord God of Israel was found in him. He had favor. He was different. Again, a vague reference, but yet there's a reference of him finding favor. Go to 2 Samuel. You'll see this example. You've read this several times. 2 Samuel 12.
Let's start with verse 15. This was after Nathan had declared that, through God, that the boy would be stricken and would die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshipped. And he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. And you know what? That is God's character. He may do that. God will do that. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. Which is essentially a statement saying that David knows that that baby is in heaven. And he believes that. Now this is a belief factor. There is a lot of what we're seeing here. It ties in almost unbelievably to our upcoming seminar. That's a belief. He believes that that baby, he's going to go see that baby one day when he dies. And we only have the words in Scripture to represent this. Because, again, this is a great mystery. The pastor is right that we just heard the video from. There is not a lot of information in Scripture about what happens to babies. There's nothing. Nothing of any real definitive consequence. Like, when we have pictures of hell, we look at the book of Luke, and we have the rich man and Lazarus, we have a picture of that. We have a representation of that. We have representations of heaven referenced in the New Jerusalem in Revelation where we have images that are given to us through a vision and they're represented best as we can tell from what's being said by John when he writes it. This subject, not so much. One more verse, Matthew 19. And again, these are all the verses that the pastor mentioned. Verse 13. Let's go. Yeah. Verse 13. Matthew 19, 13. And this is Jesus speaking. Then Jesus will be speaking in this passage. Then children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, what do you think Jesus is trying to say here? There's a very clear message that's being given about how he sees children and how we should see children. They're innocent. 
they are innocent. They're, they're innocent in the respect that, yes, they're born in sin just like all of us are, but ultimately they're innocent. You know, behavior is learned. Amen? Behavior is learned. You learn how to be good and you learn how to be bad. It's a learned behavior. But children are, by and large, innocent, especially when you compare them to adults. That's right. That's right. You know, the little children fascinated. Yep. The little children gives even a, a greater reference when we're talking about really small kids. You know, when you look at a two-year-old, a three-year-old kid, how adorable are they, right? You know, they're walking around like, you know, sometimes they do like this because they're still trying to figure out how to walk. They're, they're, they're wonderful things to see, wonderful ba- uh, children to see. They're so young, they're in their early formative years, and they're learning. They're precious. We deem them precious when we see them. How do you think the Lord sees them? He sees them the same way, if not more. They're precious in his sight, yeah. They haven't had time yet. That's right. 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 Innocence relative to how we understand it, okay? You had your hand up. And they do believe what you say. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, you can learn from a child. That's a very good point, James. Very good point. Now, think of that in the same way when he says these children can reside in heaven or have this place in heaven. What does he, in order for you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what did you have to do? You had to become what? Like a child. Like a child. You had your, go ahead, I was going to finish my point. but Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Okay. All right. Let me get back and see what it says. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the passage. So let's go to that. Matthew 18, 1 to 4. In order for you to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you had to become like a child. That's why he says those who have this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, that you're looking to him. Remember, when you're an adult, you think you're in charge of everything. I mean, you don't need nobody. I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, when kids grow up, by the way, and they start to get 16, 17, they start to get this, this thing going like, I'm ready to get out of the house. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to drive. And when I can drive, I can go and do whatever I want to do. And they go away to school and they start drinking and throwing up all over the place because they think they're doing what they want to do. But they have to learn, don't they? I kind of leaped ahead there a little bit from going to school and then drinking. Because the first thing you want to do is independence. You want to go and live like you're an adult because you think that's going to be the best thing in the world because I'm tired of being up with my mom and dad. I'm going to act any way I want to. Okay, I'm not going to repeat that. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, go ahead. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to remind me of something to talk about, though, that I, I briefly forgotten. But that's okay. Okay. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's that's valid. Yeah. Let's look what it says in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, the disciples, <laughs> they were once again, now they're human beings. And because they got to hang out with Jesus all the time, they wanted to know amongst them who is the greatest. In other words, one, they were elevating themselves to a place where because they had the privilege of being with Jesus, they had certain rights that they felt that they deserved. So they're going to go directly to him and ask him the question, who is great? Well, that's not a humble question. It's a very self-serving question. And Jesus knew that. He called a child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, until, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why I said what I said. You've got to become like a child. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is great in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 5, and whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. And then there's the warning in verse 6. You can read that and see what it means. In other words, you don't want a kid to stumble. You want to make sure that you're training your child. That's why scriptures talk about how it's our responsibility to train these children up in the way of the Lord. Give them that foundation. Because they're not robots. They still have to think on their own and make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I trained up all my kids under the Lord. They were well into the word. They knew the word. They understood what the word meant. It got to the point where they had to make a decision on their own, though, about how they treat that. So I'm praising the Lord that, you know, Bradley and Nicole are talking about visiting churches. Because it's kicking in for them now as they get older, because they're 30, you know, 30 years old. Yeah. Don't even talk about that. Bradley is 30 years old. For those of you who remember little Bradley, well, now he's big, tall Bradley, six foot four Bradley. Um, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, I always look at this as, as um, because sometimes you come to the Lord at different times in life. Yeah. I think the Lord is an example. Yeah. Okay, but he called me to him. And my humbling was I accepted him. Yeah. Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right. Then the new life began in me, mm-hmm. to where he I could be teachable in him. And that's right. The footsteps of Christ. Absolutely. So that's you had to humble yourself to allow for that to take place. Plain and simple. And it's ongoing. It's an ongoing humbling. Yes, you're humbled all the time. <laughs> you're humbled, and you have to be humble. I did not. I did not read it because I said I'll let you read that on your own. Because I, I mentioned that it's ultimately your responsibility to not to give the truth, teach the truth. In their innocence, you're giving them information that's truth. Because you don't want the responsibility 
of what can happen to you in verse 6. <laughs> that's, the, that's basically your responsibility as a parent. Is this 1 Corinthians 7.14? Is that is this re- maybe referring to what... Something different? Oh, okay. Well, for the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Well, the, holy, the presence of a holy person in the household is the, is the influence that we're looking at. The child is still influenced? Oh, Absolutely. Right. That's right. Yeah. Children are always learning. They are always they are always watching too. They watch what you do. Why do you think there's you know this is this the secular world tells you this? Children watch what you do. They they repeat what you say. They'll do the very things that you're doing because they think that that what you're doing is the proper thing. They're doing exactly what you do. That's what kids will do. So they are always observing. They're always watching. And I, I think you had your hand up. Oh, you had your hand up. I apologize. I understand what you mean, but I couldn't hear it. You couldn't hear it? She, she was referencing in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen how in a household where you have a, a, a husband who is faithful or unsaved and a wife, it's either, either or. You know, yeah. either, the influence is going to be from that person who is saved on the children. They are deemed holy by, according to the presence of being in the presence of that holy person who's holy as well, too. point is, is that, that hopefully that influence, God is going to intervene and help make sure that those things are being transmitted to the kids so they take away the good things out of that relationship and not the bad things. They're going to emulate what they believe is right and correct. So if you've got two unsaved parents, you know, hey, okay, that's a little different, isn't it? It's that presence of the person who's holy in the household that we have to look at. So we spent all this time talking about the importance of coming to the Lord as a child. And we recognize that God's going to do what's just and right when it comes to the souls of children when they die. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a great point. The, it was referenced earlier in the top in the subject about this age of accountability. Well, we don't even know what that is. It really comes down to a person having understanding of the gospel. And I mean real deep, basic understanding. I'm not just talking about hearing a little hit, flip here, a little flip there. I'm talking about the age of accountability means, you know, in the Jewish culture, they have bar mitzvahs. You know, they, they consider a kid to be 13. Is it 13? 13 years old. 12 or 13? 12. 12. It's 12 years old. They call that the age of accountability where that person is approaching adulthood. Well, you know, I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't say one way or the other. That's what they did. You guys are back here about to die. They really want to say something. Seven, eight, some nine, but I have one third grader who is comprehending at a ninth grader. 
I got another third grader who's mm-hmm. comprehending at a first and second grade. Mm-hmm. So the understanding, like you said, mm-hmm. one might really understand at their age, whereas that first, second grade yep. level, they're not understanding what two, but they're all the same age. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you, Carolyn. So it's not age-specific. The age of accountability is based upon not the age of the person, per se. And that's what we have to look at here. But again, that's a great mystery, too. How in the world can we possibly know? We don't. We can't possibly know. We, that's something that we can't address. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I thought I was paying attention, and I'm just, I'm just dissing you like nothing. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? We have very smart children today. Yeah. They can do computer stuff and all of that. Yep. And if they can make a choice for a Snickers, a Milky Way, and if that's what the sentence is in, yep. that's on them at that time. It's, it's, it's on them. It's on them. So we have to also, they'll consider now, but again, this goes back to the very first verse we read in Genesis 18. Won't the Lord do what is just? And the answer is yes. He's going to do what's just. That's his character. That's what's going to happen here. So this is a very, very important discussion to have. And I want you to take this information and use this information when you're talking to people. You'll be talking to people about this stuff. So it's good to have this information when we're talking to people and discipling them. And again, discipling is all about what? You're encouraging the people who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're also discipling those who don't know the Lord. This is good information about heaven and having that conversation. Now, let's continue on because I want to finish up the part of this lesson here. And there are some cold, hard facts that we need to look at here. Don't want to be ambiguous on this point. Not everyone is in heaven now. Some people won't make it. And we know that. The Bible speaks of the saved and the lost. The saved are those who trust Jesus Christ as their eternal Savior. The lost are those who do not trust Christ as Savior. It's really that simple. And ultimately, I even want to break it down even further. It's believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that's really the parameter of your going into heaven. You have to understand, when the thief on the cross, all he had was a moment, an instant to say, Lord, I want to be with you when you come into your kingdom. He believed that he was a king, he was Lord. And that's all it takes. And with that understanding, that's what gets you into heaven. The ones who don't trust Christ as Savior, they're lost. This is the great dividing line of humanity. You are either saved or you are lost. And there is no middle category. You will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. There's purgatory stuff. Any conversation you had or heard about stuff like that or whatever the heck that is, it doesn't, it isn't applicable. It's a man-made thing. Okay? Yes. Yes, go ahead. If you look at the Catholic Church back then, yes. in the mafia, it was yes. made for the mafia. Mafia, yeah. So that the women could purge their spouses out of heaven. Mm-hmm. They would make it. 
Yeah. So it was kind of, you can frame them out. Yeah, according to that. It made a piece of the encounter with the people. Sure. But there was also, they also even charged money. In some, yeah, they actually actually charged cash. It was a cash, it was a cash, cash is king back in the day where you could actually pay money to the church to appease for sin. Um, that was something that, they, it was a money-grabbing type of a, a scheme. It was a scheme. It really was. Of course, it wasn't put that way as a scheme, but they were preying on a very, you know, and you talk about sophistication today. A lot of our kids know more. A lot of these people back in the day were illiterate. And they, and they, and they didn't, couldn't read. They had to take the word of the people who were over these churches. When we talked about church history in this class, we kept talking about how much of the population was illiterate. A lot of them. Only the very privileged people had a chance to go to school and learn. And we're talking about a very small number. But most of the people were illiterate. And so that's how you have all these different things that were propagated. Thanks for mentioning that as well. That were being propagated. But there is no other way other than you're either saved or you're lost. Period. Okay? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Right. So I don't deal with God. I deal with just Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know Him as your personal Savior? Amen. Then what's going to make the difference between whether you're saved or not? Well, the best thing about the fact that we deal with Jesus Christ and Jesus has designed it that way that we deal with Jesus Christ is because we have a living example in Scripture of Jesus Christ we can actually point to. I mean, we, we can only point to when it comes to God Himself. Yes, we can talk about all these miracles and things that happen, but nobody's seen God. So we have Jesus Christ as the go-to when we're witnessing the people. Absolutely. It all comes through him. Okay. Pardon me? Our defense attorney. Our, our defense attorney? Yeah, that's true. Okay, that was the first bell. Now look at this. I, I had a lesson to pass out. I may not need to. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so there's no middle category, and it says you'll either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Um, that's what it comes down to. I simply want you to know what God has said about heaven and who will go there. The saved of all the ages will be there. And that vast throng will no doubt include many people who would surprise us if we knew it now. Which means that there are folks that you probably know who've been cutting up their entire lives. <laughs> and, and you might say, Joe, <laughs> when you see him, because you'd be surprised. Yes. Now, you mean today when you see hug him, will he smell like smoke then? No, he probably will not. So. No. no, he won't. He won't. He won't bring. He won't be bringing that with him. Okay. He'll be. He'll be. Okay. We haven't. That that part's not done yet. That's later. You. That that's something that you have to understand. Well, I see what you're saying. You're talking about if some of us will get through by you know flames and yeah. Well, you know I hey look. I I can't say how that's going to happen when we. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, Joe might be surprised you're there. Watch out now. 
<laughs> I just repeated what my wife said. So, okay. So anyway, let me finish this up because we can. Pardon me. I know that's the second bell. So certainly heaven will be more wonderful than our imagination and its population more diverse than we expect. But I am sure of this one truth: no one will go to heaven except by the grace of God and through the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ. If a man says no to Jesus, he has no hope of heaven. This is all the more reason why we need to be prayerful for those people who don't know the Lord. You guys have something to pray for every day. Every day you've got something to pray for. There, there is a reason for you to be praying. And you're praying because there are people who don't know the Lord. And we're going to keep praying every single day for people that we don't know. And we challenge you to do the same thing because the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Amen? Amen. That's what we need to do. So if you... If you are truly seeking the Lord in your life and you're doing the things that you should be doing, you should be praying every day for those people around you, the people that you know who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, we're going to close out in prayer because we've got uh, time is up. And we will pick up next week with parts four and five. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to come together. And we thank you for this discussion about heaven. We thank you for how you are preparing us, Lord to be able to use information, impart wisdom to those individuals who are going through difficulty. Perhaps we'll talk to people who are a couple who has been through a miscarriage. Perhaps we'll talk to people who had uh, a child taken from them because of SIDS. Perhaps we'll have those things that will come across our paths in the future. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to be ready And we're called upon to say the right words of encouragement to that family, to those individuals involved. Because there is a place in heaven for those children who are lost in that way. We thank you for this greater understanding. Thank you for helping us to be a light when it comes to conversation. We just thank you again for the opportunity to, with every breath you give us, that we can proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.